If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Got old men among us. We're going to let the old guy talk to us today. <laughs> I'd rather be doing that than pushing up daffodils, so I'm glad to be here. Got some women of valor in the room? Well, sounds like it. I'm going to talk to you out of Genesis chapter 50. There's a little story there. And I believe we all come in here and and we do the polite thing. We greet each other. You know, you'll, you'll meet each other in, in the hallways or out there in the foyer and Say, hey, how you, how you doing? And we'll all say the same thing. Good, fine. And I, th- I don't mind that. I think that's fine. But I know that a bunch of you aren't fine. And I know that a bunch of you aren't real good all the time. There's just things that happen in your life. But we can't actually in this. We do, we're polite. We don't say, I'm terrible. Because the other person who asks us that, they don't know how to respond now. Because they wanted you to say fine. <laughs> but we're not. We got things. And I think uh, what I, I want to help you with today is in this particular story that I'm going to be talking to you from, if you let this go into your heart, you will be fine. Even in the midst of difficulty or injustice or pain. And you will find that you can be at peace. It's a promise I'm giving you, not based upon my ability to speak to you or lack of ability, but based upon what I understand God wants to do through the Scripture in your life today. So if you come in here and you're carrying some things, you're kind of incarcerated with some things, God's going to set you free today. If you'll take it, I'll take that. If you are wrestling with anxiety and a lack of peace, God's going to give you that today, peace and joy. You'll be glad you came. Are you ready? All right, let's do this. In Genesis chapter 50, beginning with verse 15, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, well, it may be that Joseph was going to hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph... Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin, because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when he spoke to him. His brothers also came and they fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear. For am I in the place of God? As for you, you met it for evil against me. But God met it for good, to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them, and he spoke kindly to them. Now, if you know the story of Joseph... He said, this is a remarkable response. Because uh, his brothers, 
threw him in a pit, and they were going to kill him. And one of the brothers said, let's not do that. And they sold him to a caravan going by, which t- took him to uh, Egypt. And they took his coat, and they tore it up and put animal blood all over it and went and told her dad that he'd been killed. And uh, none of that was true, of course. Most of us, when we have questions about God or, or even the Bible, it's rooted in some personal thing that's happened to us rather than some kind of intellectual argument. It's, it's something that, by which we've been disappointed in some situation we just couldn't understand. I was kind of, it's been, been a horrible week in many ways because uh, of the terrible things that have happened. I mean, this month even. We know what happened this week was someone went into a, 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 a bar and grill and gunned down 13 people in Thousand Oaks, California. And the news, you know, they're all over it, and they, they find people to interview who maybe have been there or some relative of someone who died, and they found this lady who had lost her son. Her name was Susan Smith Orfanus, and her son had been a shooting victim in this Thousand Oaks, California, killing of 13. And strangely enough, her son had also been in the crowd in Las Vegas a year ago when this gunman had killed 58 people. And uh, so she had uh, absolute rage, just shoo, such rage and passion. And she said, I don't want your prayers. I don't want your thoughts. Because what we say is, well, you're in our thoughts and prayers, right? It's just so, we got to say something. But so I don't want your prayers. I don't want your thoughts. Of course, she, what she wanted was some way to control guns. And a question like that follow us. Whenever a child has a terminal disease, and if, you know, it's just the injustice of it all, or something done against us or our family, the injustice of it all, or, or a premature death or a tragedy of some sort, and we have these questions about God, and if God is good, why didn't God allow all this to happen? We have these issues. Well, this story that I just read for you actually will handle some of these issues, these questions that you might have. Because with God, when, when it seems that he's silent, he's, he's actually not absent at all. And when it seems that he is hidden, uh, it's, he's working. There's a backstory that's, that's going on. And often when things seem to be going wrong, Actually, God is working on our behalf. We can't see it because we can only see the things that are going wrong. But behind the scenes, there's a backstory. God's doing something. And it's a positive thing. Well, the story of Joseph kind of handles these issues. And, and so Joseph's, what had happened is his father had just died. And uh, his brothers, he'd brought all of his family over to Egypt. And they, he'd given them some great land. They were going to grow from a a little primitive tribe to a big nation in there because of the position that he occupied in government. Well, so his brothers were talking among themselves, when dad died, Joseph has no reason to be nice to us. This would be his opportunity to pay us back for all the evil that we've done to him. So let's do this. Let's tell him that, God, that dad's dying wish when he's on a deathbed was tell Joseph that he better be, he treat us real good, please. And so they sent this message to Joseph, and Joseph uh, began 
to weep. Because there's, he had already forgiven them, but there's a difference between forgiveness and rec- reconciliation and trust. It takes time to build up trust. And his brothers didn't trust him. I think for the reason is because they weren't trustworthy themselves. That was evident. So they, they, they thought, okay, now, now it's payback time and dad's dead and, and, and Joseph got a lot of power and yeah, I mean, he could do all kinds of things to us. But what is interesting is the three statements that Joseph made in response to this, three things that he does. There are three things that are uh, the marks of a person whose heart has been changed by God's grace. There, there are three statements that have to do with a person that's at peace regardless of what's transpired and what's happened uh, to him. So with, when dealing with injustice or the lack of fairness, my, <laughs> my daughters, when they were kids, you know, uh, and, and siblings fight among one another, you know, space and toys and different things. And then uh, one of my, my daughter, in, in, invariably one of them would say, Dad, it's just not fair. And uh, they didn't like my response. I said, that's true, it's not. He said, we'll get used to it. <laughs> <laughs> Life isn't fair, is it? I mean, the way we want to judge fairness, the way we want to see it, it just, <laughs> and so... But when dealing with injustice or, or the lack of, fa- of fairness or betrayal or pain or offenses against you that seem to be uh, not deserved, these three, three statements, if you can get them, they'll bring peace. <laughs> they'll settle things for you. He does. First of all, he refuses to take God's place. He said, hey, don't be afraid, for am I in the place of God? Now, that's an interesting statement. The second thing he says, he, 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 he takes God's view. He says, now, you, you boys, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good. You had intention of evil, but, but God meant it for good. And the third thing he does is he becomes an image of the wonderful grace and the unconditional love of God. He mirrors back, becomes a conduit of that when he says to them, I will provide for you. I'll take care of you. They were bad people. So I'll take care of you. I'll provide for your little ones. And he spoke kindly to them. I mean, he didn't just forgive. He did something quite practical. It was amazing what he did. Now, how do you get to that place that you can be that kind of a person? I mean, I want some of that, don't you? I, I, I'm, in, I'm in the market for it. Let's get that. So let's just look at these three statements and kind of unpack them a little bit. The first thing he basically said is, I'm going to refuse to put myself in God's place. Now, we've probably never thought of it that way, that we've actually tried to put ourselves in the place of God. But I would say all of us have. Let me give you an example. One of the ways that you put yourself in the place of God is you begin to assume uh, your own moral authority, what's right, what's wrong, all that kind of stuff. Adam and Eve started this whole process, and so you come by it naturally. You kind of inherited it from them. Adam and Eve in chapter 3 of the book of Genesis, God had made this beautiful place called the Garden of Eden. It was absolute paradise on earth, and, and uh, he had put them together as a couple, and uh, he said, basically, you can have anything you want. You can do anything. I mean, it was a beautiful place. We're talking about a beautiful home. We're talking about not wanting anything, any kind of food. You can have it, anything you want. Oh, yeah, there's this one thing. He put one tree there, and he says, you can, don't touch that. Because when you touch that, you're going to die. And what that was was a God tree. That's basically saying, I don't want you to forget who I am. 
Sometimes life can be going on pretty good for some of you and, and comfort and, and at ease and things are flowing pretty well and you can forget who God is. And God said, I'm gonna put this tree in here. This is a God tree so that you don't forget who I am. You don't take that tree. You can have everything else. Now, <laughs> Moses may come down with 10 commandments. They only had one. Just don't touch the tree. It's like telling a kid, you have anything you want to eat here, just stay out of the cookie jar. No. So they went for it. And the serpent come along and he said to them, he said, you know, this God tree, God doesn't want you to eat of it because he knows if you eat of that, you're going to become like God yourself. They thought there's some magic God potion or something in God's tree. And if I eat that, I'm going to become like God myself. And of course they took of it. Now this is Actually, not mystical. It's actually pretty simple. It works this way. If you decide for yourself what's right for you, rather than following God's word, you have, in de facto, put yourself in the place of God. And you've taken his place. And therefore, in that, thinking of it that way, the serpent was really right. You, you, you become God yourself. And we do this today. We say things like, well, you know, things have changed. Uh, the Bible is, is pretty old, you know, and this is 21st century. And uh, uh, that probably worked back in those ancient cultures and stuff like that, but there's stuff in the Bible that just doesn't work in the 21st century, you know. The Bible is hard to deal with because it talks about certain things that are not politically correct and, and defines things that are not politically correct. And this is a politically correct culture right now. And so it's like, well, you know, I don't know. that Things have changed, you know. Things move on. I mean, let's face it, a few hundred years ago, people still thought the world was flat. We can kind of laugh at that, you know, and now we know better. We know better. And we can therefore take the prohibitions of Scripture and we can make our own absolute rules, the way we want to view God. Well, take certain Scriptures. And I don't know if you have a Bible that you read and underline, you know, uh, I learned to underline Bible from my dad. He'd work through a Bible every year, and he'd put underline, and he'd put notes in there. And I heard a guy say once, if you want to know what God's really saying, read all the scriptures you didn't underline. <laughs> <laughs> because there's certain scriptures we kind of like, let's get over that one. Oh, I like this one here, asking you shall receive. I'll go for that one there. But... It, it can look stupid. I mean, I've said stupid things. I know it's hard to believe. But uh, I've, I've said things that I no longer hold on to. The problem was, is uh, back in the era, which some of you have never heard of this, some, a device called cassette tapes. <laughs> and uh, they used to tape my preaching, you know, on cassette tapes. I'm really glad that technology has made me more infallible now. <laughs> Moved on. Leave that stuff where I had it kind of wrong. Uh, where I thought I knew something and I really didn't know anything. But it's true. A hundred years from now, people will look at stuff that was said and say, that was dumb to say. Of course, even now, I don't know what to believe. I read stuff and it says, a recent study, they, I always want to know who they is. You know, they say that uh, uh, coffee is bad for you. And in California, California, they... Uh, they, they had to put a warning label on coffee that it 
may, may cause cancer. Then I read another study that says coffee is full of antioxidants, and you ought to have some every day, and it's really, really good for you. And do you, you see what I'm saying? They take vitamins. And I just saw one study that said don't take vitamins because they don't help you. And then they sell all these vitamins. You just don't know what to believe. People have all these things. But there can be certain concepts in the Bible that seem old-fashioned and narrow and out of date with the world that we live in, not relevant to the world that we live in. It's kind of almost like the milk carton you got in, in your refrigerator. You pull out and you read it, and it says, expired July 31st. And you know, don't drink that. And he said, there's certain things in the Bible, you kind of wonder if, the, if certain things in the Bible have an expiration date. So we just, we don't, we don't take that. Can I, can I tell you that this is getting in the place of God. It's creating your own scripture. It's creating your own God. It's like a designer faith. I see people, they design a God that fits the lifestyle that they want to live. And you say, well, that's not me. But well, just think about it. You know, so, so that's, let me tell you what that is. When you design a God where you pick and choose what you'll take from what he says and, and ignore other things that he said, then what you've done is you've created your own God, except it's just not made out of wood or stone. And that's putting yourself in the place of God. Another way that we put ourselves in the place of God is when we, when we look to someone else to meet our need or we like people looking at us that uh, we were meeting their need. This is pretty dangerous even for, for experts, you know. Experts are those that can meet your need. So it's like preachers can be experts, you see. Uh, we, we design something, we says, I've got the answer for your issues. I've got the answer for your problem. And the guys will come to a pastor and they'll get counsel. And then they'll say to that pastor, they say, oh, you helped me so much. I would have never dreamed, you know, I, I learned so much from you and I received so much from you. And, and so they're looking to this pastor to meet their need, and the pastor's sitting there thinking to himself, I met their need. Both, both of them are in trouble right there, you see. <laughs> because the fact is, only God can meet your need. Whenever the Syrian general had leprosy, he came, he heard that God heals people in Israel, and he came to the king of Israel, and he brought all this money. He said, here, here's all this money. He says, cure me, make me well. And the king tore his clothes, and he says, am I God that I can kill or make alive? No, I'm not. Deepest needs can only be met by God himself. And writers of these self-help books, you know, and pastors and, and even churches at times, uh, uh, things can't be solved by sociology or psychology or education as far as the deepest needs that you have. We should tear our clothes and say we're not God. I had a guy years ago when I was pastoring church uh, who was come to me for counsel because he had a very a troubled life. He had all kinds of problems. He'd come to me. And I'd help him, you know, I'd talk to him and help. Because that's what preachers do. You come to him and they'll help, you see. And uh, I'm not belittling that. I'm just saying it's the way it was. Somewhere in the middle of this, him coming with these issues in his life, I blurted it out. I know it was a God thing. I said, Bill, I said, you're, you're broken and I can't fix you. That was the best thing I could have said to him. Because he's looking to me to be God to him. I can't be God to him. Only God can meet the needs of his life. So... When, let me tell you a self-destruct button for your marriage. Y'all, anyone married here? If you're married, here's a self-destruct button. If you look for that other person to fulfill you and make you happy, then your marriage is going to get in trouble because all of you who are married will find that your partner does things 
that you're not thrilled about at times. And, and you allow it to cloud you and make you unhappy. If you think, because the deepest recesses of our life, only God can meet that need. Only God. God has not given that power to any other person. And the third way we put ourselves in the place of God is by worry. Jesus said, why are you worrying? Don't worry. Why worry? That's just, well, I got a reason to worry. There's this, there's that, there's that. Why worry? He says, he said, God knows what you need. Basically saying, you just need to trust God. God knows what you need. Don't, don't worry. So excessive worry comes when you think you know exactly what needs to happen. And it's, it's reflected in our prayers. And so we pray these kind of prayers. Oh, God, uh, I, need, I need this money to pay the rent or the mortgage by next Wednesday. And we tell God he's got to have the money there for us by next Wednesday. And we really take in the place of God. God says he knows what you need. Pray, yes, but trust him. God, I'm choosing to trust you that you will work out. You know what I need. You will work out rather than pray and tell God because you're afraid God may get it wrong. You want it at a certain time in a certain way. And that's taking the place of God. Don't do that. And the fourth way we can take the place of God is when you hold a grudge. Now, all of us have done that. We've, we found it hard to let go. Joseph says, of course I can forgive you. Am I in the place of God? In other words, this is God's place. This is God's place. The implication is that everyone who keeps a grudge, who decides they're going to get payback on someone who has wronged them or offended them, that you have placed yourself in the place of God. Because God has this idea that he's God somehow. And he says, vengeance belongs to me, says the Lord. It's mine. It's not yours. It's up to, God is the only righteous judge. And he can sit in judgment over someone because... He's holy. He's the only one who has a right. And God knows how to judge because he knows everything about that person. He knows their life. He knows what's affected them. He knows what's twisted them and what's shaped them and what they've suffered. You don't know what a person deserves. But haven't we all done this? A real bad person, somehow it catches up to him and says, well, they got what they deserve. We've all said that. Well, I hope they get what they deserve. But do we really know? The fact is, we're not God. Only God knows. And so, God knows that person. And if you try to get justice before you forgive someone, you're really after vengeance. And the evil that was in that person becomes yours. Someone wrongs you, and you choose not to forgive, and you want a payback time. And uh, then you're returning evil for evil. And the more you nurse that unforgiveness... The more you've incarcerated yourself, you've actually hurt yourself. You go into self-pity and you go into self-justification and you can isolate yourself and, and withdraw and you get hard and cold. There's a cost to payback. And even if you do get to payback someone who's wronged you in winning, you actually lose. You can't win that way. When you forgive, though, peace is yours. It's amazing. Happiness, generosity becomes yours. The first mark of a Christian ought to be grace because you avoid taking God's place. The second thing that Joshua says is he takes God's view. So he saw God's provision, providing hand 
in the midst of the evil his brothers did to him. So he, he says, as for you, you meant it for evil against me. You, you did. But God, two of the greatest words in Scripture, when you, but God, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And there's two parts to what he said here. First thing he said, you meant it for evil. There will be evil. There will be pain. There will be injustice. You meant it that way. You meant it to hurt me. You meant it for evil. But God, he meant it for good. Wow. This is, this is an amazing thing. You see, I've got friends who are overly, stupidly optimistic. <laughs> now, they're a lot of fun to be with because they're just up over the top. You ask them, How's this, how's this going? How's, oh, it's going great. It's good. Life is good. Let's go do this and that. And uh, I, 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 I know people like that. They really are fun. I mean, they are. Because they are. They make you laugh. They're so optimistic and sunny. But, I mean, I remember one of, one of these guys I know asking how his marriage was. Oh, it's great. You know, and a few days later, he found out his wife wanted to leave him. He's just so, so over the top in this bubble of idealism and optimism. He couldn't see reality. On the other end of the scale are pessimists. Now, uh, I know people who are pessimists. I just choose not to hang out with them very much. And for them, it's like, even if, if it's good, well, you just wait. You, you ever met anyone like that when you looked in the mirror this morning? <laughs> And they're always like, well, you just wait. That's going to change. You can't trust people. You've got to look after yourself, you know. Oh, I met this person. Oh, yeah, 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 just wait. And uh, they're not a lot of fun to hang out with. But Joseph holds these two things together in a, in a divine uh, uh, tension of some sort. He's neither an unrealistic optimist and he's not a pessimist. He just trusts God. And he recognized bad things happen but God. Bad things happen, but God. My life is filled with pain, but God is good. And it can be painful, but God is good. And the Bible is realistic about evil. So Joseph is saying evil is real, and people, they mean evil against you sometimes. And there is injustice, but God is always working good, even in the midst of it. This was an amazing thing. This is an amazing thing, I'm telling you, that regardless of what happens to you, God is so redemptive in his nature, he cannot but work redemptively that he can even take the worst kind of evil perpetrated against you and work something good and to your benefit. It's amazing. The scripture tells us that. Now, some of you know this scripture. The Romans 8, 28 becomes a favorite scripture. We know that all things are working together for the good of those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. You all know that scripture. Do you know what it said? It didn't say some things or perceive good things. It said all things. That means absolutely everything that's happening. I mean, you cannot see the good that comes out of it. I've got a lot of things that at, in the moment, in the present, I can't see good coming out of it. But in hindsight, later on, I can look back and say, oh, I see what God was doing in that. That's amazing. But he was doing it when I couldn't see it. So all things are working together for good. Even the evil things, God can take it and transform it 
Change it and mold it until it becomes a positive in your life. That means, you know what that means if that's true? It means you are invincible. That nothing by any means can harm you. Even the intent of harm works in this way. God's working a redemptive purpose in it for you. Now, that's worth the price of admission. <laughs> Jacob, who was Joseph's dad, he, he was not a good dad. Uh, he, he sinned big time. He lied. His life blew up. Uh, he deceived his father. He stole from his brother, and his brother was a hunter, and that's a bad thing to do. A guy knows how to shoot and kill. Don't steal from him. So he had to go on the lamb. He went on the run. But think about this. Because Jacob sinned, he found the love of his life while he was on the run, a girl named Rachel. And she bore him a son, Joseph, who, <laughs> with whom the lineage of Jesus, the son of God, would come from. And the same son would save his family from certain death and starvation. Now, wait a minute, you're thinking. I don't want you to get the wrong idea. You mean it's okay to sin then because you, really good things are going to happen to you. I say, no, don't get that one. Because if you, if you practice sin, there are consequences to sin, and they are very, very painful. What Joseph is saying is I can forgive you because even in the sin and the bad things and the injustice, I looked back and I could see God had been working some good things and therefore you couldn't destroy me. Nothing can destroy me. You meant it for evil, but God cannot but work redemptively even when evil is perpetrated against you. I look back at much of the pain, pain that I've experienced, injustice, and, there's, and you live long enough, you don't have to live very long, you'll, you'll get it, won't you? And betrayal. And I see that when I responded with God's perspective, I believe, God, I can't see the good coming out of this, but you say that all things work for good. I choose to, to knock down on that and believe that. Now, those, those lessons, now I can look back and see what God did with a lot of those things. Those things I went through, I wouldn't take a million dollars for them. I wouldn't give you a nickel to go through them again either. But I'm telling you, that's the way it was. I look back and I say, you know what? If that man way back when hadn't have been so unjust and cruel and evil, and his attempts to destroy me, I would not have experienced this in Jesus, I would not have experienced this, and I wouldn't be in the place where I am today. And it's actually made me at times think, I'd like to go back and thank that man, but of course, that's not a good thing to do. He would not understand where I'm coming from. But I've had situations where, where in a positive sense, iron has entered into my soul. Strength has come from God that I would have never experienced had I not been in such need because of those things. Now, here's a stunning thing. God can and, use, can and does use the very injustice or the consequences of injustice and even sin to make us effective in him. And in Joseph's case, it's quite, quite clear. Let me go through his life. Quick, you ready? If the brothers don't sell Joseph into slavery, he never gets sold to Potiphar and gets in Potiphar's house. And if he never gets to Potiphar's house, Potiphar's wife never falsely accuses him of attempted rape. And if Potiphar's wife does not falsely accuse Joseph of attempted rape, he never gets thrown in prison. 
And if Joseph never gets thrown in prison, he will never meet the cupbearer, Pharaoh's cupbearer, down there in prison and, and interpret his dream. And if Joseph never interprets the cupbearer's dream, then he never comes to the attention of Pharaoh. Because the cupbearer said, I know a guy who can interpret dreams. He's in prison. And if Joseph never comes to the attention of Pharaoh, he never becomes the second most powerful man in Egypt. And if he never becomes the second most powerful man in Egypt, many Egyptians will die, and his dad and his entire household and family would perish on the face of the earth. Now, here's the point. Now, none of us, you think all those things weren't painful? In the midst of but now he can look back in retrospect and says, hey, guys, I know you meant it for evil, but God, but God meant it for good. We wouldn't be where we are today if it weren't for that. God can work redemptively. The point is have God's view. God's at work. And that even in painful things will work for you. There's another way of saying it. It's found in Romans chapter 8 beginning with verse 31. What shall we say to these things then? These things that happen to us, what should we say? We say this. If God is for us, who can be against us? You're invincible. <laughs> if God's for us, who can be against us? And he didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than this, who was raised up in the right hand of God. And he is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? You get it? On and on, he says. He says, no, in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ. Wonderful. And the last thing I want to say to you is, what did he do? Thirdly, he responded to evil with forgiveness and practical affection and action. He assured them. He spoke kindly to them. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them. This is hard. How did he do it? He only did it because he would not take the place of God and he took God's view and it enabled him to respond that way. He, it's amazing. He would not take God's place. Jesus is the ultimate example of God taking evil and turning it to good. Because God brings salvation out of the crucifixion of Jesus. You wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that. Now let me ask you this. Do you have peace? Do you want peace? Do you have freedom? It's a simple thing. You aren't God. Don't take his place. Leave all the writing of wrongs in God's hands. Don't take that place. God will make it right. Take God's view. Understand that God's working something amazing. He's got a backstory on your behalf. I don't know what it is. I know well, most of it after the fact, sometimes long after the fact. I still don't know it all. But I believe this to be true. God's working all things for our benefit, and see his providing hand in the midst of people's malice. Image God's love, but don't return evil with evil, but with forgiveness and practical affection and action. So let me ask you a question. We're going to have a band up here.
The band can come up. Let me ask you this question. Is, 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 the, is a past experience in your life something that was said, done, or a recollection of a very painful time where someone did something to you? Has it taken over your life, a person, or even you, your own personal past failure? Has it somehow taken over your life? You don't have peace. And you felt God should have done something that he didn't do, and so you lost your trust, and you're without freedom. Has some personal injustice or betrayal, sort of anger, pain, or resentment? Maybe you felt God let you down. You asked him to do something, he didn't do it. The fact is, he may have answered your prayer in a way that you didn't realize. When Paul said, I got this painful experience called a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it was. He prayed three times, and God said, God answered his prayer this way. He said, God, take this away from me. And God said, my grace is sufficient. He answered in a different way. Maybe God's answered your prayer. You just not recognized it because it come in a different form than what you thought it should come. Maybe you become cynical or cold in heart. Have you asked the Lord to forgive the past, to dwell in the present? Now, I've lived a few years. In those years that I've lived, just like some of you in this room, I've had some awful things happen to me through life. Not enjoyable things at all. I'm thinking this morning, I'll make a confession to you. Of an instance. It was, it's easier to forgive someone that's done something to you than it is to forgive someone that's perpetrated something on the person closest to you. Especially as a man, I feel hot. And many years ago, something really, really, really wicked happened to someone very close to me. And I began to think about how I could kill that man. I was a Christian. I thought about it. I'm not saying it was serious, but I did. I thought that man doesn't deserve to live. I stood in the place of God in that moment, and I failed to believe the but God. He met it for evil. But God had a backstory. I'm glad I made that choice not to take God's place and to go, but God, it was evil and painful, but you will work a good. Now I look back and see that. I have peace today, I have joy today. I am not incarcerated in bondage to unforgiveness. I'm a free man. You can't get any more free than I am. I feel invincible. Nothing by any means can harm me. But God works all things for the good of those who love God, called according to his purpose. If you're here today, you know you have these issues. Won't you just leave them in this room and not take them outside with you? Forgive Put your faith back and trust in God. See what amazing things he might do for you today.